Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for standing by. Welcome to Tech's fourth quarter 2021 earnings release conference call. At this time, all participants are in listen-only mode. Later, we will conduct a question and answer session. This conference call is being recorded on Thursday, February 24th, 2022. I would now like to turn the conference call over to Fraser Phillips, Senior Vice President, Investor Relations and Strategic Analysis. Please go ahead. Thanks very much, Patrick. Good morning, everyone. And thank you for joining us for Tech's fourth quarter uh, 2021 results conference call. Please note today's call contains forward-looking statements. Various risks and uncertainties may cause actual results to vary. Tech does not assume the obligation to update any forward-looking statements. Please refer to slides two and three for the assumptions underlying our forward-looking statements. In addition, we will reference various non-GAAP measures throughout this call. Explanations and reconciliations regarding these measures can be found in our MDNA and the latest press release on our website. Uh, Don Lindsay, our President and CEO, will begin today's call with full year and fourth quarter highlights. He'll be followed by Jonathan Price, our CFO, who will provide additional color on our financial results. We'll co- conclude today's session with a Q&A period to address any remaining questions. With that, I'll turn the call over to Don. Thank you, Fraser, and good morning, everyone. Well, 2021 was a great year for tech. We are pleased to close out the year by setting a number of financial records, despite what was a very challenging backdrop. Solid operational performance and strong commodity prices drove $6.6 billion in adjusted EBITDA in 2021, and the highest ever quarterly adjusted EBITDA of $2.5 billion in Q4, which was more than triple last year's level. I am incredibly proud of the tremendous resiliency demonstrated by our team all across the company who've continued to operate our assets safely and sustainably through heat waves, a heat dome, I'd never heard that term before, wildfires, incredibly heavy rains, deep freeze, freezing temperatures, record cold temperatures, and the continued impacts, of course, of the global pandemic. Unprecedented floods brought on by three atmospheric rivers, a term I also hadn't heard, three of them in in four days in the fourth quarter, tested the resiliency of our steelmaking coal supply chain in British Columbia. And despite major rail and infrastructure damage caused by what is now referred to as one of the worst natural disasters in Canadian history, there was no material impact on our production. We reached multi-year collective agreements at Antamina, QB, Fording River, and Elkview in 2021, and also at Highland Valley subsequent to year end. So we now have long-term stable agreements at our three largest mines. We continue to advance our priority projects in the fourth quarter, and overall progress at our flagship QB2 copper project has reached 77%. We are focused on delivering on the project's key milestones, including the commissioning of systems as they are completed. And we continue to expect first production in the second half of this year. You know, tech is already one of the world's lowest carbon intensity producers, 
of each of copper, zinc, and steel making coal, but we are taking further action to support global efforts to combat climate change. We continue to reduce the carbon footprint of our operations as we progress towards our target of net zero by 2050. And in November, we announced an agreement with Oldendorf carriers to employ energy efficient bulk carriers, which is expected to reduce our scope three emissions on a portion of our steel making coal shipments by up to 40%. The estimated savings can be up to 45,000 tons of CO2 annually, which is the equivalent to removing nearly 10,000 passenger vehicles from the road. In January, we announced our partnership with Caterpillar to deploy 30 zero emission large haul trucks at our mining operations. And this is exciting progress because the decarbonization of our fleet represents the single largest opportunity to reduce our scope one emissions. And overall, we're very pleased to see our continued efforts in ESG are being recognized by the industry. So for the third year in a row, we are ranked number one in the metals and mining industry on S&P's corporate sustainability assessment. We are also ranked number one among North America's metals and mining companies by Moody's ESG. We're number two in diversified metals by Sustainalytics and rated AA by MSCI for our ESG performance. Turning to slide five, annual adjusted EBITDA of 6.6 .6 billion in 2021 was a record reflecting strong contributions from each of our copper, zinc, and steel making coal business units. And importantly, our record profitability enabled us to deliver meaningful cash returns to shareholders. Yesterday, the board approved an amended dividend policy, declared a dividend and authorized the repurchase of up to $100 million of Class B subordinate voting shares in 2022. Under the new dividend policy, the annual base dividend has been increased from 20 cents a share to 50 cents a share. And in accordance with the new dividend policy, our capital allocation framework, the board declared a dividend of 62.5 cents per share, consisting of 12.5 cents of a quarterly base dividend and a supplemental dividend of 50 cents per share. In addition, the board authorized annual share buybacks up to 100 million and additional buybacks on top of that will be considered regularly. Taking into account the new annual base dividend in 2022 and the supplemental dividend, and assuming the $100 million in share repurchases, these initiatives represent a total of approximately $635 million in aggregate of dividends and share repurchases. Our ability to deliver a supplemental dividend in 2021 and the increased annual base dividend and the new annual share buyback demonstrate both our confidence in the outlook for our business and our commitment to balance growth and returns to shareholders. So turning to our operations on slide seven, fourth quarter EBITDA for our copper business unit increased by 64% compared to last year, supported by copper prices, which reached an all time quarterly record. Production was in line with plan, although copper sales were impacted by heavy rains and extreme winter conditions, which affected rail service and shipment schedules. Net cash unit costs after cash margins for byproducts were $1.52 US per pound. That's 25 cents higher than last year. We continue to experience inflationary cost pressures, and uh, we also are seeing increases in our profit profitability-based payments at Antimina, and that's included in that 25% increase. And as I've already noted, we are pleased to have reached multi-year collective agreements at Antimina, Blanca, and subsequent quarter-end at Highland Valley. 
So looking ahead, we expect strong performance from all of our copper operations in 2022. Moving on to zinc in slide eight. Our zinc business generated 290 million in EBITDA in the fourth quarter, and that's an 80% increase compared to last year. The increase was driven by higher zinc prices and partly offset by higher royalty costs related to profitability at Red Dog. Lower Red Dog zinc and concentrate production was primarily due to lower mill throughput and recoveries as a result of unplanned maintenance, which is now behind us. Refined zinc production at our trail operations was 11,800 tons lower than a year ago due to issues we encountered in the commissioning of new equipment as well as unplanned maintenance. Looking ahead, trails 2022 production will be impacted by major maintenance activities from September to November when the Kibset furnace hearth and the dome in one of the zinc roasters will be replaced after 25 years of operation. And our Red Dog royalty will increase to 40% in October from 35% currently based on our operating agreement with NANA, which outlines a 5% increase every fifth year to a maximum of 50%. In 2022, we expect a significant increase in zinc production at Red Dog and a decline in total cash unit costs before byproduct credits, despite ongoing cost inflation pressures. Turning to slide nine, our steelmaking coal business unit had a record fourth quarter, generating $1.7 billion in EBITDA in the quarter, and that compares with $118 million last year. Realized prices averaged $351 U.S. a ton, which was $244 higher compared to a year ago. And to capitalize on this premium pricing, we maximized available processing capacity to meet additional sales opportunities to China in the fourth quarter. Thanks to our Neptune facility, which had ramped up and was exceeding design capacity during the quarter. We entered the first half of November with historically low levels of clean coal inventory at the mine sites. And this allowed us to continue operations with minimal production impacts, despite the logistics disruptions that occurred in the latter half of the fourth quarter. Sales in the quarter were 5.1 million tons, which was slightly below our revised guidance. We sold 1.8 million tons of steel making coal to customers in China in the quarter. Um, that was pretty similar to the three previous quarters. And annual sales to customers in China totaled 7.6 million tons, or approximately 30% of our annual sales volumes. Sales to our customers in China are, of course, at CFR China prices, which reached a record high of more than $610 US during October. And although the steelmaking coal price in China decreased quite a bit during the fourth quarter, the average CFR China price for the quarter exceeded FOB Australia price assessments. The remainder of our sales were sold based on the FOB Australia price, which also averaged at a record level through the fourth quarter. And fourth quarter adjusted site cash cost of sales of $72 per ton were higher due to inflationary pressures, including higher diesel prices, profit-based compensation, and our investment in RACE 21. Our annual adjusted site cash cost of $65 per ton was within our previously disclosed guidance range of 64 to 66. Fourth quarter transportation costs of $49 per ton reflect the extraordinary vessel demerge in the quarter as a result of port service disruptions and higher rail fuel surcharges. And the higher costs were partially offset by lower port costs as higher volume of sales went through Neptune. And as a result of prolonged supply chain disruptions, we entered 2022 
with very high mine site steel making coal inventories. With CN and CP Rail making progress toward fully restoring rail service to our coal terminals, we expect to be able to largely recover delayed fourth quarter sales within the first half of 2022. And assuming full recovery of the rail network, we expect sales to be between 6.1 and 6.5 million tons for Q1. We expect 2022 steelmaking coal production between 24.5 and 25.5 million tons. Our 2022 production estimate is reflective of potential production curtailments in the first quarter due to high inventory levels. Though we see that risk starting to decline now and have made some good progress recently. Further, while the recent surge in Omicron cases has not had a major impact on productivity to date, continued absenteeism has the potential to have a negative impact on our operations. So despite unprecedented logistics challenges and continued inflationary pressures, our steelmaking coal business unit delivered record financial results in 2021 and is well positioned to deliver very strong financial performance again in 2022. And I note that Australia FOB prices are up again today, and they are currently uh, over $450 per ton, in fact, closer to $459 per ton, up uh, about $18 in the last three days. Turning to our energy business unit on slide 10, our results improved from the fourth quarter 2020, largely due to the 88% increase in the Western Canadian Select oil price, which resulted in a positive operating net back. In the fourth quarter, the focus was on ramp up to full rates. We were pleased to see Fort Hills safely and successfully resume to a two train operation in December. The facility is expected to operate at an average utilization rate of 90% throughout 2022. The midpoint of our guidance represents an increase of approximately 85% compared to 2021 for our share of the annual production. And with higher production and productivity, adjusted operating costs are expected to come down by approximately 40% to between $26 and $30 per barrel in 2022. Underpinned by strong global energy prices, we expect to see a meaningful improvement in Fort Hills EBITDA in the first half of 2022. And I note that WTI is $97.33 as we speak. And with differentials uh, fairly stable, that means that we have uh, a Western Canadian Select price in the mid-80s U.S. or well over $100 Canadian. Moving on to slide 11, as I mentioned earlier, we continue to advance construction at QB2 with overall progress now having reached 77%. We were very proud of Q4, by the way, because we achieved 11% completion in that quarter and 35% for the whole year. We are proud of this achievement, especially in light of the challenges that we have faced around COVID-19. The number of cases in Chile rose very rapidly in January and early February, so we weren't able to continue the rate of progress that we were making in Q4 during that time. We are continuing to aggressively mitigate the impact of the pandemic on QB2, and we believe that we're past the peak there, and it has improved uh, quite significantly from the worst of it. Construction continues to progress, and we remain focused on delivering key systems as we position for first copper later this year. We have completed more than 90% of the water supply pipeline welding, and the tailing starter dam is more than 85% constructed. We've also energized the port area substations, 
and we are continuing with our pre-operational testing of the desalination plant. Our operations and commissioning teams are working in close collaboration with the construction teams and are busy commissioning systems as they are completed and handed over. And this includes commissioning the port substations, the mine electrical loop, and the first two electric shovels. We've also completed commissioning and testing of the autonomous haul truck system, and these trucks are now doing productive work in the mine area, and I was able to visit and uh, see them in action in December. A number of us will be going again uh, uh, next month. Turning to slide 12, it shows the testing and commissioning of the electrical systems associated with the mine electrical loop. Energization of the mine loop was an important step in completing commissioning of our mining fleet. With the mine loop energized, you can see the two new electric shovels that we've commissioned on slide 13, and these shovels will be used for pre-stripping mining activities. Slide 14 is a view of the 15-story high ore stacker structure, which transfers ore from the crusher to the ore stockpile. And you can also see the commencement of the erection of the ore stockpile dome in the center of the photo. Slide 15 is showing the grinding building where we have all the mills in place. We're working on the mechanical and electrical systems and we've commenced installation of the siding. The next slide, slide 16, shows one of the 85 meter diameter tailing thickeners where we are completing the installation of the internal mechanical components now. And from here, Slide 17, we go to the starter dam at the tailings management facility where we continue to make excellent progress and are now over 85% constructed. The tech mine fleet has done a great job in providing materials for construction. And on the right of the photo, you can see the pond liner which is in place in preparation for receiving water. Work on the main jetty is progressing well. It will support both the ship loader and the seawater intake system and the subsea work, including the 440-meter-long brine outfall pipe and the first to two water intake pipe systems are now in place in preparation for seawater extraction. As we head back on shore, you can see we've energized the four substations there on slide 19, and this energization is an important step towards commissioning of the infrastructure at the port area. And finally, slide 20, shows the roof structure in place for the 75,000 ton capacity concentrate storage building at the port. So in summary, we continue to be very pleased with the progress uh, that we are making and we are excited about building on our construction successes to date with a focus on delivering to the project's key milestones. And I'd encourage you to visit the investors section of our website to watch a video of the project and view our latest quarterly photo gallery. So with that, I will now pass it over to Jonathan to discuss our financial results. BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then... Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. 
new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Thanks, Don. Uh, profitability in the fourth quarter improved significantly from a year ago as a result of higher prices for all of our principal products as shown on slide 22. Copper prices reached an all-time quarterly record of US $4.40 per pound in the fourth quarter, up 35% from last year, while zinc prices increased by 29%. Western Canadian Select, the heavy oil benchmark price, was 88% higher compared to the fourth quarter last year and has continued to increase through the first quarter of 2022, as Don outlined. Similarly, we benefited from record-high steelmaking coal prices, Realized prices in the fourth quarter were U.S. $351 per tonne, more than a threefold increase from $107 a tonne a year ago. As Don noted, high realized prices reflected our strategy to increase our sales to customers in China in 2021, which was priced at a premium to FOB Australia price assessments. The large increase in steelmaking coal prices from Q3 to Q4 resulted in pricing adjustments of approximately $69 million in the fourth quarter, or $44 million on an after-tax basis. Now, we've outlined the key drivers of our record profitability on slide 23. We generated $2.5 billion of adjusted EBITDA in the quarter, an increase of more than $1.6 billion compared to the same period last year. This was largely driven by higher prices across all of our principal commodities, partially offset by lower sales volumes, higher operating costs, and the strengthening of the Canadian dollar. It was also impacted by asset impairment and impairment reversal related to Fort Hills and Carmenda and Okoyo, respectively, in the quarter. We continue to experience inflationary cost pressures, notably in diesel prices, mill steel, and replacement parts, driven largely by price increases for underlying commodities such as steel, crude oil, and natural gas. The inflationary pressures reflected in fourth quarter operating results across our business are expected to continue in 2022. Cash flow from operations in the fourth quarter was $2.1 billion, compared with $594 million a year ago. Our capital investments in the quarter totaled $1.1 billion, including $715 million on QB2 and $300 million in sustaining capital. Capitalized stripping was $186 million, primarily related to the advancements of pits for future production at our steelmaking coal operations. This was higher than a year ago, primarily due to decreased stripping activities in Q4 2020 as a result of COVID-19 restrictions. Debt proceeds were primarily driven by $303 million from our U.S. $2.5 billion project financing facility in the quarter. Net-net, we also repaid $268 million on our revolving credit facility, bringing our balance on this facility to nil. 
Including these and other minor items, we ended the quarter with cash and cash equivalents of $1.4 billion, an increase of approximately $1 billion as compared to the end of the last quarter and the same period last year. Now turning to slide 25, we're pleased to have enhanced our already strong financial position. Our solid operating performance combined with strong commodity prices resulted in a 49% adjusted EBITDA margin and 6.6 billion in adjusted EBITDA for the year. Our net debt to adjusted EBITDA ratio was one times. During the quarter, we converted our US 4 billion committed credit facility into a sustainability linked facility with zero amounts drawn at this time. Subsequent to the end of the quarter, on January 18th, 2022, we redeemed US 150 million of our maturing 4.75% term notes. As of February 23rd, we had $7 billion of total liquidity. Importantly, our strong financial performance enabled us to return meaningful cash to shareholders. Applying our capital allocation framework on slide 26 to our cash flow from operations of 4.1 billion in 2021, we deducted sustaining and committed growth capital of roughly $3 billion net of QB2 project financing and partner contributions, 106 million of base dividends, and 335 million for debt repayments to improve our capital structure. This left us with over $730 million of available cash flow. As you know, the first 30% of any available cash flow is automatically returned to shareholders, and this totaled approximately $220 million. According to our framework, the balance of 70% can also be returned to shareholders or otherwise used for investment in growth or debt reduction or a combination of these. As Don noted at the start of the call, the board made the decision to pay a supplemental dividend of 50 cents per share or $267 million, representing 37% of available cash flow, above the minimum stipulated in our capital allocation framework. And going forward, the board approved a 150% increase in the annual base dividend to 50 cents per share uh, per year from 20 cents per share and authorized an annual share buyback that allows us to repurchase up to $100 million. Additional buybacks will be considered regularly. The increased base dividend is indicative of our confidence in the outlook for tech, reflecting both the near-term strong cash flow generation of our business units and our anticipation of the transition of QB2 from construction to operations. The annual share buyback provides management with the discretion to repurchase our Class B shares, such that we can offset the impact of dilution created by issuance of shares resulting from the exercise of employee stock options, as well as ensuring the flexibility to time repurchases in the context of market conditions. As shown, we have amended our capital allocation framework to reflect this additional regular return mechanism, with the cash used for share repurchases during the year to be deducted from our calculation of available cash flow. Slide 28 outlines our guidance for capital investments for 2022 and our outlook for a dramatic decrease in spending in 2023. We are approaching a major cash flow inflection point in 2023, driven by the completion of QB2. Sustaining capital spending is expected to increase in 2022 relative to 2021 levels due to one-time projects, 
including the Harmer project to relocate maintenance and office facilities at the Elkview steelmaking coal mine to allow access to the next phase of mining, a major smelter turnaround at Trail, a haulage truck rebuild program, and the inclusion of sustaining capital for QB2 for the first time. In total, we expect these factors to increase 2022 sustaining capital by approximately $500 million over 2021 levels. We expect to spend, in Canadian dollar terms, 2.2 to 2.5 billion of QB2 development capital on a consolidated basis in 2022. With the completion of QB2 and a normalization of other categories of spend, such as capitalized stripping, we expect our total capital expenditures to decline by roughly $2 billion into 2023. And with that, I will pass it back to Don for closing remarks. Thank you, Jonathan. So as you can see, this is an exciting year for tech. This is the year of transformation where we rebalance our portfolio and really start uh, ramping up our copper production. We are months away from the startup of QB2 in the second half. And we are particularly excited by this position because uh, we, we find ourselves as QB2 ramps up to full capacity, we expect to shift from a period of significant capital investment to what will be a period of significant cash generation. And at uh, between US 350 a pound and 450 a pound copper prices, and with QB2 at full production, we believe that we can generate somewhere between six to seven dollars per share of what we call available cash flow for shareholders, which we can use to grow our copper business or ret while returning significant cash to shareholders at the same time and also maintaining a strong investment grade balance sheet. And as a result of Tech's long-term and consistent commitment to seek out high-quality, long-life base metal resources, we have a portfolio of high-quality growth options that is the envy of our peers. And after carefully assessing multiple configurations for the further expansion of QB beyond QB2, we have determined that the next phase of development will be the QB mill expansion, or as it will be known, QBME. And the mill expansion is expected to increase concentrated throughput by 50% with the addition of one identical semi-autogenous grinding line, that's one sag mill and two ball mills. And we believe this configuration optimizes the timeline to obtain approvals, the permitting process, and to progress the development of this world-class ore body while leveraging the existing infrastructure that we're building right now for maximum capital efficiency. The QBME previsibility study has already started, including all of the environmental baseline activities and with completion target for the fourth quarter of this year. And QBME will be a significant contributor to our medium-term copper growth portfolio. At the same time, we are also continuing to progress the project satellite assets. At Zafranel, a feasibility study has been completed, and we have now received confirmation of our CEA admissibility in Q1 2022. So that's a very, very important milestone. At St. Nicholas, we've commenced work on a pre-feasibility study, and that was in, uh, in Q1, and we're completion targeted for Q3 of 2023, and we are deeply in partnering negotiations right now. At Calore Creek, Fleur has been appointed to undertake a pre-feasibility study starting in Q1 with completion targeted in the first half of 2023. So that's another notable step uh, with our partner, Newmont. Finally, strategic, technical, and commercial assessments for the advancement of Nuevo-Union, Masaba, and Shaft Creek are ongoing. So in closing, we're pleased with how tech is positioned to drive long-term shareholder value. 
There are meaningful opportunities ahead as global growth and the transition to a lower carbon economy drive new copper metal demand. And as a result of Tech's long-term and consistent commitment to seek out high-quality long-life base metal resources through mineral exploration, discovery, acquisition, partnership, and development, we have a portfolio of high-quality growth options that is the envy of our peers. And as we move forward, we'll rebalance our portfolio to copper while reducing the proportion of carbon in our overall business. The strong performance in the commodity prices over the last few months has accelerated our ability to return capital shareholders, and looking ahead, we have the ability to generate even greater cash flow and returns. And as we've always done, we'll continue to strengthen how we operate, both through cutting-edge innovation to improve productivity and through our leading ESG performance. And with that, I'll turn the call over to our operator to open up for questions. And I should say that uh, we're all uh, doing this call remotely, and so we have people in different time zones on lines all over the place. So after your questions be asked, it may take a moment or two till we sort out who's going to answer it. Operator, over to you. Thank you. You may press star 1 at this time if you have a question. The first question is from Greg Barnes from TD Securities. Please go ahead. I didn't see any commentary about coal sales into China in 2023 as you had last year. Okay, and um, congratulations, Greg. Uh, First question, um, usually someone else. You know, you know well. Yes, it is. So you, you surprised us all. Good, good for you. Um, so I, I'll turn that question over to Real. We've done a lot of thinking about it, and as you know, the CFR price and the FOB price uh, do not necessarily move in sync. Sometimes one's higher, sometimes the other's higher. But uh, Real, over to you. All right. Uh, thanks, Greg. So, uh, you know, overall, looking at 2022, we're expecting our sales distribution to be similar to 2021. Uh, you know, as we've discussed previously, we're continuing to maintain our supply to our ex-China customers because those are long-term relationships. And we're confident as well in China as the steel production recovers. Actually, we've seen steel production already come back uh, very strongly right after the Olympics. So we see that as uh, continuing to support CFR China pricing as China uh, continues to be short, hard, coking coal. So, uh, and, and the last point is we keep a portion of our book for spot sales. And of course, these spot sales will be placed in markets where we achieve the highest returns for tech. Great. Thanks, Rayon. Uh, follow-up question again for you, Don, on coal. You're thinking around the near-term future of coal in your portfolio. It seems to be evolving. Can you talk about how you're positioning the business in your mind from this point forward? And when you say the business, do you mean the overall portfolio? Yeah, coal in the overall portfolio and how you see yeah, that evolving. So, um, nothing, nothing has changed from what we've said before, that uh, we're on the journey to rebalance our portfolio so that uh, uh, carbon, in both coal and, and oil sands, will be a, a lower percentage of the portfolio, whether you measure it in terms of revenue or EBITDA. And this is a big year of transformation for that because we double the consolidated copper production with QB2. But as we're going to start featuring uh, throughout the year, the other uh, projects in our portfolio are probably coming a little sooner than 
people might have expected. And, and uh, you know, we hope to announce a partner on St. Nick, um, you know, in, in due course. It's, it's taken a little longer than we thought, but we're certainly deep into it. And uh, we're giving more information today and, and in the next few weeks on QBME and uh, moving that uh, at pace. So uh, the, the coal part of it will uh, reduce in proportion um, naturally as copper grows. Uh, that we still um, have the same position on oil sands on the Fort Hills project that I've talked about before, so nothing's changed on that. We're in the midst of our first quarter of it operating uh, with two trains running. And so, well, that that was uh, a long time in coming, but it's it's up and running now. It was tough in the first couple of weeks of, of January when uh, when temperatures were so cold and so on, but uh, but uh, seems to be going smoothly now. So that'll give us some financial results and allow us to move forward on uh, whatever uh, strategic action we take on that. So we 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 believe that the carbon particle pole will be reduced in that step, and then we'll take a look and say, well, uh, can we uh, get down to a level that shareholders find acceptable by keeping the whole coal business, or do we need to uh, to reduce our exposure there somewhat? We love the business, as you can see, it's a tremendous cash generation business. Uh, and I, I, I just want to you know, give a shout out to our whole team that works in the coal division because you know there's a lot of ESG pressures and so on, but man, they they are so so dedicated, so determined, and innovative and addressing issues. We've now got tremendous water treatment capacity up and running in the highest selenium concentrated areas. And it's really going well. Um, fish population has been increasing and so on. So I just, uh, I'm just so proud of everything you do there. So I, I call it one of the best mining businesses in the world. And I say that frequently to other people. I should say it publicly too. You know, that said, we know that um, with all the different ESG pressures and movements, there's a lot of people that uh, shy away from anything called coal, even though it's the, the good coal, steel making coal that the world absolutely needs for a low carbon future. And so we have to take that in consideration. But the board's been studying this intensely for a couple of years and even more intensely uh, recently. But um, whether any specific action is, is taken uh, in the next few months, uh, I, I don't know. Nothing is imminent, uh, that's for sure, but we sure look at it a lot. I do want to say that our coal our steel-making coal is amongst the highest quality in the world, and if you produce a ton of steel with our coal, there's between 5 and 30% lower carbon emissions than the, the coals from the U.S., Australia, Mongolia, and so on. So um, it's, a, it's a very valuable uh, business, and it's certainly doing extremely well, especially with coal prices having jumped $18 a ton in the last three days. So sorry that's a lot, Greg, but that's, that's how I'm thinking about it. No, that's great. Thanks, Tom. Just wanted to clear that up, and I'll pass it on. Thank you. The next question is from Orest Rokoda from Scotia Bank. Please go ahead. Good morning. A uh, couple of questions for me, if I could, Don. Um, first one: I've noticed that your the languaging around the share buybacks seems to suggest that the board may consider buybacks uh, a lot more often than just annually. Is that the right way to interpret it, that we could actually see something uh, reviewed quarterly? Uh, we didn't say quarterly, but we said regularly. But um, uh, the direction of your question your question is correct, that where we're at now, you know, we're 77% complete of QB2, but there's still a lot of capital this year. 
And so we're taking a prudent, measured approach. Uh, we wanted to increase the base dividend. We wanted to, you know, implement the capital allocation framework, and and you know we put in a pretty decent supplemental dividend on top of that, which in total gives you a dollar for the year. Uh, and then start the buyback. We wanted to, you know, have have the uh, approvals in place so that if events in the world happen, as they seem to be happening in the last 24 hours, and there's moments of weakness or or you know we we can be ready and we can start any time. Uh, but we didn't want to uh, go too far right now until we get further on in QB2. But if you roll the clock forward a quarter or two and we're over 90% or something and that, that there's no particular disruption and we're generating the kind of cash that, that these commodity prices can generate, then why would we wait all the way till next February or something? So we wanted to signal that the board is very attuned to this issue um, and it'll be a subject of discussion uh, frequently. As, as cash is generated, but you know, um, month by month, these 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 prices makes a huge difference to this company. Like every month, uh, there's there's a lot of cash that comes in. So, um, you know, we we would look at how best to deploy it. And I think when you see uh, QBME and how that would be financed, and say Nick and how that would be financed, you'll see the you know the 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 ability to Still grow copper while generating a lot of cash that's available for a return to shareholders will start to unfold more, and then the board can make those decisions in that context. And good Thank to hear you. from you, Oris. Uh, sorry you missed the first question, but I'm sure next thing. Thanks, Don. Um, just as a follow-up on QB2, you gave us a fair amount of um, status updates on the key pieces, but what about the concentrator? Where is that at with respect to completion, and is that now in the critical path to, to start up? Ah, very good question, and I look at pictures of it every day. So I'm going to ask uh, Red Conger to take that question, and he may work with Alex Christopher as well. But Red, over to you. Good morning, Oris. Appreciate the question. Um, yeah, it's been uh, a busy time for us on, on the project, and uh, we're, you know, we're pleased with progress, as, as Don had mentioned. Just just specifically on the concentrator, when, when we talk about critical path through grinding line one, that that still remains the critical path. So that you know that that work is key to getting to first copper production. We we did a lot of work with our contractors late last year to uh, you know as as you have seen uh, reassess what the COVID capital cost impacts are, are going to be we we renegotiated contract with them taking you know all of the current circumstances into account hiring additional people etc getting everybody aligned on the construction plans as, as they are today and the completion dates so uh, and and I'll I'll tell you we've you know we've Alex has been down there I, I've been down there December uh, January and and February, working closely with the team on these issues. And you know, when I when I walk that concentrator in that grinding line and compare it to other things that that uh, you know we've done elsewhere in the world, the you know, the schedule and and cost to go on this is all very practical, very doable, and you know we're excited. Key milestones coming up. Uh, the first one being first water to uh, commission the the desalinization plan and and at 
you know, at, at the time all of that's going on, we're completing the the first grinding line at the concentrator, so that's ready to run when, when the water's there, and, and then all of those uh, employees just naturally go to grinding line two and, you know, another aspects of the project to complete it. So we're, you know, we're excited about where we're at. Uh, the grinding line number one remains the, the critical path to first for this year. And, and just to be clear, can you give us a percentage of completion on that? Yeah, well, we're at, we're at 77% now. And, uh, you know, it, all of, all of the effort is around the sequence that it takes to complete all of those things so they're they're complete at a time when you can actually make something and it's not about bulk construction completion at this point. The 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 thing that's most critical for us right now are the key milestones that we need to achieve and the order that we need to achieve them in. For instance, it doesn't do us any good to complete grinding line one before we have water to you know to to put in it so all you know all of the work plans work work efforts intensity is is around that proper sequence to get us to first copper as you know safely and rapidly as we can okay. thank you red thank you the next question is from matthew murphy from barclays please go ahead hi um, it's probably too early, but I can't resist asking about uh, capital on the uh, QB expansion. Uh, any kind of like ballpark, you know, bracketing of uh, of possibilities you could give us? Um, well, it's it's like half of QB two, but um, without a lot of the infrastructure, you know, the pipelines, transmission lines, ports, to that stuff. So less than that, but then you got to roll the clock forward the number of years for whatever cost inflation happens over that time. I think it'd be too early to give you an actual number, but uh, to your question, ballpark order of magnitude, that's how I would think about it. So if I said something like $2 billion, that's like not ridiculous or? Uh, well, it, it's in that range, but I, you got to think when this gets started, you know, we've had like the 5.26 billion of QB2, that was in 2019 dollars, I think. And so uh, you got to roll the clock forward five, six years, and whatever cost increases have happened in steel and all the different things. So I take that in consideration. Yeah, no, fair, fair enough. Um, that's that's helpful. And uh, then I had another question just on um, tax pools. Um, there was a note in the earnings of um, an expectation to be accruing for current Canadian corporate income taxes starting this quarter. So could you just remind us where the tax pools are and how much uh, further you have to go on those? Jonathan, over to you. Yeah, so so those tax pools are ahead are held in in Canada, of course. Um, we, uh, as, as the guidance we've given, expect to have um, fully consumed those pools uh, early in this year, and, and therefore we start to accrue uh, Canadian um, income taxes, and and that will convert, of course, into cash taxes in in due course. Okay, so that's a, like the full full amount. 
Yeah, and and we've you know we've we've held these these pools uh, for a long time, of course, but you know we we have uh, um, you know significant profits being generated uh, right now in the business, in particular, of course, from the the coal business uh, here in British Columbia, and um, that will see the um, you know the 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 end of those tax pools essentially, and and us paying um, corporate income tax on those profits. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Welcome. Thank you. The next question is from Carlos de Alba from Morgan Stanley. Please go ahead. Yeah, thank you. Uh, good morning, uh, everyone. So um, coming back to QB2, um, so given where we are and, and sort of the run rate uh, that you mentioned, uh, Don, of uh, 11% uh, progression in the fourth quarter, which was really good, uh, but some slowdown in the first quarter, uh, is it fair to say then that, that um, your first production will really come most likely during the fourth quarter, perhaps until the end of the year? Um, and then the second question on, on QB2 is on CapEx. Um, you, could you, um, you know, give us a reminder of that 5% of, of additional contingency uh, on, on the original CapEx of, um, of $5.62 billion. What is the the FX that is embedded in in that in that five percent uh, you know, additional contingency uh, expending? Uh, is, is is still the 775 original Chilean uh, uh, peso per dollar, or has it moved closer to spot? Okay, I'll I'll take the first one and then turn it over to either Red or Jonathan or Alex uh, for the second one. But um, uh, you know the the. Percent completion in Q4 was our best quarter, and I can tell you January and February with Omicron is nowhere near that. It, it, was, it was pretty rough going. At one stage, we had over 800 people isolated. The absenteeism has been really high, and so you can't sort of project that. And so uh, it's difficult. We keep saying just second half because we don't know if we'll go back to that Q4 rate, which would be great. And obviously, you know, two two quarters like that, you'd you'd be in great shape. Uh, or it'll carry on, you know, where it's been in the last uh, six or seven weeks. And we've been through a few, a few phases like this, you know, um, just as there have been phases of of, uh, of the coronavirus, of you know, the alpha, delta, Omicron, and so on. So we're trying to stay away from uh, predicting too specifically, and we're just going to say, look, we're going to get this thing done in the second half. The first copper is going to be produced, and then we're going to drive forward with uh, – a tremendous new asset that's going to be around for generations. So we're, we're we're looking forward to it. Now on the exchange rate, uh, uh, Red or Jonathan? Yeah, Don Red Red here, Carlos. Um, the the capital to go, the spend to go on this, we've used more current rates that that we were seeing at the time eight eight twenty five to eight fifty exchange rate on capital to go, spend to go. It's it's mostly labor uh, based in Chilean peso expense to go. All right. Just add that, I'll just Sorry. add to that, Red, if I can. If, if you look through our, you know, our previous expenditure for, for QB2 and, and the guidance we've given both for the underlying estimate, uh, the contingency, and now the, the COVID spend of, of 900 million to, to 1.1 billion, um, and you look at all of that in U.S. dollars terms, it'll give you a, you know, you, you can pretty accurately figure out what we're going to spend this year based on the guidance we've given and, and what would be carried over into 2023. So, you know, as Red says, use use sort of spot FX rates for, um, for, for what we're spending right now, given that's predominantly um, labor cost that we're incurring. Okay. 
All right. Thank you very much, everyone. Thank you. The next question is from Lawson Winder from Bank of America Securities. Please go ahead. Uh, yes, thank you, operator. Good morning, everyone, and thank you for the uh, update. Um, I'd like to ask about uh, the uh, Chilean Constitutional Convention and how that might factor into your uh, decision to proceed with QBME. And uh, do, do you expect to have the ability to attain, uh, obtain a stability agreement, or might it be even potentially grandfathered in with uh, QB2? Um, I'll make uh, some preliminary comments, and then uh, uh, I'll turn it over to Amparo Cornejo. I believe she's on the call from Chile. So um, uh, in terms of making a final sanction decision for QBME, and we've got you know, a fair bit of work to go there. We've got to finish the pre-feasibility this year, and uh, there is some work in, on the final feasibility going on in parallel with that. But um, you know, by the time you get to sanction, uh, we should have much better clarity on what's going on in Chile with the constitution, with the different tax and royalty proposals, and that sort of thing. And um, uh, then uh, the board can make a decision whether they're comfortable with the risk. Uh, we believe that uh, you know the proposal we're making falls under the current tax stability agreement and and current, within current permitting for some of the infrastructure that's already there. So that's one of the reasons or two of the reasons why going with a, a 50% expansion like the one line, one sag mill, two ball mills, uh, just a, an expansion of the current mill, the QBME, QB mill expansion, um, makes sense because it's sort of the, the least regulatory challenging and, and or tax or whatever. Uh, just just a, lot, a lot less uh, risk or uncertainty and a lot faster. Like a faster, when I say faster, it's faster by somewhere between two and four years compared to doing a larger expansion. Um, and you know, if, if for some reason the Chile decides to, you know, impose taxes that are just too high and, and make us come to the conclusion that uh, we don't want to, you know, commit what what is clearly going to be two billion or north of, uh, as our previous questioner was was showing, um, then we wouldn't do it, right? So so it's in Chile's hands to. Put together a good investment environment, and if it, if it has done that for for decades, frankly, Chile has been one of the best countries in the world to to be mining copper in. And I, I I'm a big believer that it will continue to be so. But you know, we'll be able to wait and see what the final rules are before we make any sanction decisions. Um, Amparo, if you're there, please uh, please uh, feel free to comment on the the latest uh, developments uh, in constitutional discussion. Okay, thank you, Don. Good morning, everybody. Yes, I'm here. Sorry, I have had some issues with the connection, so hopefully I can continue. Uh, what Don explained is, is correct. Uh, there is no indication that the mining royalty bill that is currently under discussion will have any impact on our stability agreements. That has been stated by all the parties, so international agreements and commitments will be respected. In relation to the constitutional convention process, which is, of course, very important for the future of Chile in order to uh, establish a new social pact and ensure uh, future stability, we believe that the process has not finished. It's too early to really comment. Up to this moment, uh, there have only uh, been approved by the convention uh, two uh, blocks of, of parts of the Constitution, 
uh, all the discussion about uh, environmental issues or others that could have an impact on the mining activity have not yet been, been voted. Uh, we expect that that vote of the convention will take place around mid-March. Mid and it's important to remind everybody that those uh, standards require two-thirds of approval. So at this moment, we don't really have enough uh, information. There is not a draft of the Constitution where we can say that the outcomes are going to generate additional risks. Of course, we are following the, pro the process very closely, and there is a lot of national debate and a lot of information around the Constitution, but uh, it's important to mention that those standards related to the industry have not yet been voted. Uh, thank you both. That's extremely helpful perspective. And uh, a follow-up, if I might, on uh, HVC uh, 2040. What's your latest uh, view on the timeline to approval? And um, you know, just, just thinking to the evolution of the overall portfolio towards more copper, I mean, is it possible that HVC 2040 could, could become an expansion in, in throughput? Thanks. I'll turn that one over to Shazad Barmel. Thank you. Uh, so HVC 2040, uh, our plan is to submit our permitting documentation, uh, the full after consultation with indigenous groups and other communities in the first quarter of next year. And uh, and then with a 12 month uh, uh, permitting timeline. Uh, and you know, remember that it is uh, and mostly an extension with a little bit of expansion as well. So there is more grinding capacity being installed and our throughput should be uh, higher by about 10% or so, 10 to 15%. Um, so it's an extension as well as a minor expansion. That's all very helpful. Thank you so much. Hi, Patrick, Operator Fraser. Uh, I think we have time for one more question, please. Certainly. The last question will be from Lucas Pipes from B Riley Securities. Please go ahead. Thank you very much, and uh, good morning, everyone. I, I wanted to follow up on the portfolio management, obviously Ford Hills here in this energy price environment is a, is a, is a nice hedge, and, and I wondered if you can update us on where you see that asset fitting in longer term. Thank you very much. Yeah, so we've, we've been fairly public about our position on that. It's been a long road to get to full production, but we said once we got to full production and it was fitted down and operating well, then the board would look to see whether we felt we were getting paid for Fort Hills in Tech Resources share price. Uh, as you know, with all the ESG um, focus, there are many institutions that um, that aren't interested in buying a company involved in oil sands, and yet the asset itself looks like it can generate uh, tremendous EBITDA and cash flow, particularly at these prices. Uh, so if it's, it's not valued within tech resources, then uh, we may conclude that it should be held differently uh, and allow shareholders to continue to participate if they so choose. And that could be any one of three general directions. And one one would be sale to another part, partner. And, um, you know, we, we are in partnership with Suncor and Total. One would be contributing into a, a, a mid-sized company and taking back shares and distributing those shares to shareholders as part of a consolidation play. Or it could be just spun out directly as a, as a yield co, and it would be a pretty, pretty healthy yield uh, uh, in these circumstances. So... Uh, but we do need to get at least a, a quarter's 
financial results while it's running at full production. And so we're in that quarter now, uh, mm-hmm. although it was pretty tough for the first couple of weeks. So um, the board will be considering this in the not too distant future, but uh, that, that's how we think about it. You're quite right. It is a good hedge on, on oil prices. That was one of the reasons why we went into it uh, uh, years ago. There were a bunch of other good reasons as well. First of all, we are in the mining uh, part of the business, large open pit shovel truck operations, and we have thousands of people within an hour's drive of the Alberta border who do just that and do it very, very well. Second, uh, you know, the province of Alberta is pretty good geopolitical jurisdiction to invest in. If you if you sit in my chair and you look at the choices you have around the world, um, Alberta looks pretty good. Uh, third, it was um, very tax efficient. The capital that we invested uh, provided a shelter against the cash flows from Highland Valley and the coal operations and trail and so on. The technology risk was minimal. We do have the advantage of some new technology. The paraffin froth treatment process has improved it. It means it's a much lower carbon footprint than the original oil sands. It's about one-third of original operations, so that was good. Um, oil itself is, is something you could hedge a long way out. You could hedge as far out as 15 years if you wanted to, whereas copper and zinc are certainly not coal. You can't do any of that. So there were a whole bunch of, and there was not particularly a lot of geological risk. The resource had been drilled that was there. So there were a whole bunch of really good um, reasons to to have it in the portfolio back then. Uh, but you know the world's changed, and and so to the extent that our investability is affected by having that within tech resources, then the board's got to look at uh, at how to deal with that. So, but first let's get through this quarter and get some financial results. That's that's very helpful. Thank thank you for that. Um, and then a, a quick uh, second question on slide 28. Uh, you're, you're looking at a reduction of capex of, of two billion in 2023. So uh, it looks like an increase um, of 200 to 500 million. Uh, any particular driver on that? Is that sustaining capital of QB2 that gets rolled in? Inflationary pressures? Any 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 perspectives you can share on that? Thank thank you very much. Jonathan, over to you. Yeah, thanks for the question. As I mentioned previously, there will be some carryover of QB2 uh, capital into uh, 2023. Um, and as I mentioned, you can sort of figure that out by by looking at our guidance um, in aggregate for total spend there versus what we've spent and our guidance for 2022. So you'll see there's sort of a stub year in 2023. Um, Things like sustaining capital will start to come down. Uh, capitalized stripping um, will come down uh, to, to be more consistent with prior years. Uh, and therefore, when uh, we wrap up um, QB2, you know, all else being equal, then, then we would see a further reduction again uh, into 2024. But, but there's some of the uh, some of the key drivers in that um, in that capital number. Terrific. Uh, very helpful. Thank you very much, and, and best of luck. Thank you. Thank so I would th- like to turn everything uh, back over to Mr. Lindsay. Okay. Well, thank you very much, uh, everybody, for uh, attending today. In closing, I want to say how excited we are about 2022 and this transformational year and bringing QB2 on and starting down that uh, copper growth trail uh, and rebalancing the portfolio. I just want to uh, bring people's attention to page 33 in our quarterly release because there you'll find a chart on the sensitivities to the various commodities, and in particular to the exchange rate. I know we've got some tough news happening in, in the Ukraine, and we hope that uh, things can be resolved uh, uh, for all the benefit of all the people peacefully and so on. 
But in the meantime, the, the world uh, is quite concerned, gone risk off, and the Canadian dollar has moved a full penny today. And the sensitivity shows that for every penny the Canadian dollar declines, that increases our EBITDA by $143 million. And then just a little further down the chart on steelmaking coal, as I noted, steelmaking coal is uh, around $459, up $18. For every dollar it increases, that's another $28 million uh, in EBITDA to tax. So I think um, uh, these are important. And, and even just below that, you see WTI and WCS sensitivities as well. So uh, while it's a tough day in the markets, for sure, in terms of uh, the things that drive our financial results, it's actually very, very positive. And with that, thank you very much. We'll look forward to speaking to you in April. Bye now. Thank you. The conference has now ended. Please disconnect your line at this time, and thank you for your participation. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.